The Lord be with you, everyone. And we come to one of my favorite Beatitudes, if you could talk like that. But it's in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I've read many commentaries on what that means. And um, they all have something to say. And probably you have heard the, uh, whatever those commentaries have said, you've heard it here and there as to what this means. I, I want you to stand back tonight and listen to this as if you'd never heard it before. That is very important that we don't bring to the table every assumption that we have as to what this means. Because I'm telling you, this buried treasure here, there is a transformation of our living and abiding in Christ. That is, this is a very practical beatitude. It is, I believe that there are some of you who are listening that when you realize what this is really saying, that it will put you on a firm footing in your life in Christ. And so let's do it. Let's stand back as if we'd never heard this before and really hear what Jesus is saying. So let's analyze it just quickly for a moment. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So let's get it straight. He's talking here of a goal or an end in view, or even you could say reward, at least say it carefully. Um, The reward of pure in heart is to see God. Now, let, let that sink in. The reward of pure in heart... That is, pure in heart from the very beginning is is pointing at and moving toward seeing God. That, That will explain to us a lot of what purity of heart really is. It it, it ends, the, the goal, the end line of pure in heart is that we see God. It's a visionary thing. Um, and, and seeing God... Uh, is is purity fulfilled. When, when we see God, then this purity of heart is fulfilled to the point where Jesus uses that word blessed, which, as we've said many times, means an extreme joy. It means contentment of heart. It means satisfaction in life. Everything that is summed up in that great word joy and gladness of heart. It would be to say that when we understand purity of heart, then we see, we have insight into the very heart of God to the point where we realize we are fulfilled for this I was made. Okay, look again. I want to emphasize this. Purity then is organically connected to vision. That is the ability to see God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whatever this word purity means, it is somehow connected organically to how we see. 
And therefore, the absence of purity of heart is going to affect how we see. We'll not be able to see. We'll be blind to many things. And that means then impurity, and I'll get mostly to that in a moment, but just enough to say that this goal and reward of being pure that sees God, impurity means I've been defiled. That is the opposite of purity, defiled or contaminated. And that results in the blurring of my inner vision. I can't see God anymore. Purity defiled, impurity, purity contaminated will bring about an inner blindness and the inner ability or inability to see God. Are you getting this? You've got to understand purity goes with seeing. And when I have impurity, I can't see. That's the basic statement of this verse. And this purity of heart and this then rising from that seeing God is the gift of God. That is, I can't give you a formula to get it, if it isn't it. Um, it's the gift of God because purity of heart came with creation. When I, when I go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in those idyllic days before the fall, um, this verse is being played out for Adam. Uh, and Adam means both Adam and Eve, they, they saw God. They, they had a conversation with him. They had fellowship with him, and it's recorded there. In fact, the very first thing that we have recorded concerning Adam when they were created, it, it says, and the Lord said, and here they have a conversation. That's the first thing that happened as Adam sat up a full human being straight from the hand of God, the first moments of his realization of being a creature in creation is that he's conversing with the Creator. Um, so it came with creation, and creation is a gift. You do understand that. Uh, the fact you're here, the fact that you have life and presence within creation, that's God's gift. You are here by gift. You didn't earn getting here. You're, you're here by God's gift. And so from the very beginning, it was the will, the intention of God to reveal himself, um, to, to have a self-revelation. We could never figure God out. So God showed himself to us. He willed to be known. And as he shows himself to us, that awakens our heart with our inner sight to see God. Um, that's how we were created. That's in the original blueprint. And so... Mankind was created pure in heart with a clear seeing, a, a clear living knowing of the true God. And those who have pure heart are blessed with the gift of God. So Adam was created to know God in friendship, as I've said, in conversation. 
Uh, he, he was to share, to actually participate in the life of God. That's the original meaning of human life, that we participate in God's life. And God was not an imaginary friend. If you read those first three chapters, there was Adam and there was God, and they connected and they conversed. God was objectively real. Seeing God for who he truly is, not what we think he might be, for this is God revealing himself. He truly is love, of course, and all that he purposes to give to us and all that he desires to be to us, all of that is vital to truly being alive. It's only then that we can truly be ourselves. When I know who God is and when I know who God is toward me, then that love causes me to open up to realize who I am. I'm the beloved of God, and I can respond to that love, open, transparent, without any torment or fear. I can listen to him with complete trust. If I don't know who I am, relationship is impossible. That's an absolute statement. I mean, we're talking of humankind's relationship to God, but the fact is, it's basic to the word relationship. If I don't know who I am, then how can I relate to somebody else? Because I don't know what to be to that person. I don't know how to open myself up. I don't know who's there, you see. And so that's the tragic thing about much that's going on in the Western world in these days. People look to relationship as a means of finding out who they are, or they believe that if they could have that person in their life, then things would be different. But no, you you come to a relationship with something to give, not to get. People don't have friends because all they want is to get something to fill their emptiness. They've got to know themselves first, and then out of their fullness they share. That's relationship. And so the love of God, that he would give himself to us, that opens our inner eyes to discover who we are, and the relationship begins. Now, that's all tied up here. Let's try and pull it out. Pure. What does pure mean? Uh, see, it, it's, it's a very distinct word, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't say the clean. It doesn't say the righteous. One would think those words could have been used, but it, it's a specific word. Blessed are the pure in heart. What, what does pure mean? Well, really, we use it quite a bit in modern language. Pure, it means that which is the true original, right? That which is the true original without any addition or subtraction by something external. I mean, you've heard the expression, pure milk, 
pure milk means no one added water to it and watered it down to become something less than milk. No, they say it's pure. Uh, Pure alcohol, the same thing. Nothing's been added. Nothing's been taken out. Uh, And when you get into the world of food, um, the (laughs) food manufacturers are forever taking things out to make something less than it originally was, then to add something which is their big selling point. You know, they've put vitamin C in this. Well, why'd you take it out in the first place? It's, we live in a world where, where pure is hard to get. And it's behind that thing, you know, I only have organic food. It means I want to get back to the pure, untouched by greedy manufacturers who want to take stuff out or put stuff in and it becomes something impure. So what is impure? Impure is the entrance and and union with, that is something external is put in, and that is put in, and it unites with that original, but it was never intended, never intended. It means the original has now become something that it was never intended to be. And in many cases, what is added uh, to make something impure is poison to the original. It totally destroys what the original was. Um, It destroys that unique life, you know. Um, I don't want to talk much about this, uh, but I I want you to get the idea. Look, um, when, when I came over here from Europe, way back in the whenevers, um, and, and they served me eggs, fried eggs, I remember it well. I looked and, and I said, what are, what, what's this? Because I, I, I came from a culture, really, where if you had an egg, it came straight out of the hen in your backyard or on a farm where it was there pecking away at the grass and the insects. And and the the egg was rich yellow, and now they served me this ghastly thing. It looked as all the yellow had been filtered out. Then I discovered they they raise these poor creatures on a belt where where they, you know, go in at one end and come out the other end as a, a chicken ready to eat. And I realized what what's happened. There's been stuff put into this chicken that has destroyed chickenness, destroyed eggness. It's produced something else that neither tastes like a chicken nor looks like an egg. Okay, that so we're saying that's impure. It's something's been added. Some antibiotics or whatever else they shoot into the chickens to produce this thing, but it, it's not. What, what some of us remember chickens used to be. You see, it, it's it's destroyed the unique life, um, and so so it's given to the substance. And and although the the thing is still alive, it has died to what it really used to be. And of course, go back. You you put fifty percent water in milk, and it, it doesn't taste like milk anymore. You see. It's, Right. In fact, something emerges. As I said, it, it, it's still alive, 
But what emerges is it's an anti-life. It's anti what the thing was supposed to be. And, and well, I tell you what we could um, uh, look at are the rivers. The rivers. I remember um, living on the River Hudson in New York when the uh, industrial waste from way upstream poured into the river until the river turned a different color, all of the beautiful river vegetation died, the birds left, the fish were floating on the top, and, and, and here came death. Oh, the river still flowed. It was still called the Hudson River, but the stench of the river and the death of the river, yeah, It was impure. You see, something had been added, industrial waste had been put into the river and produced something that it was not before. And therefore it had died to being the sparkling fresh river Hudson with beautiful um, vegetation and birds of every color and hue and all the fish that all gone, is gone. It became a memory that only uh, some folks remembered. Because this was the River Hudson. Okay, are you getting this? Now he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that are are original. Those who have gone back to the blueprint. Those that are what they were always created to be. For such a person sees God. And that's the mark of a person who is pure in heart. And seeing um, is connected with listening. Um, when, when, you know, you, you might be studying mathematics and you'll use that word, I see it, an equation or something to do with your study, you see it, you got it. Well, that's a combination. You listen to something, you hear words, but the words are somehow morphed into pictures in your mind. And it's a it, it, it is. It's a seeing somewhere in the mystery of how we know you see something, but it's connected many times with listening. And that, in the scripture, uh, listening, sometimes translated as hearken or hear, means obedience. It, obedience is not gritting my teeth to do a command. Obedience essentially means listen, 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 hear until you see it. And so purity of heart is this, this purity, not, nothing's been added to it. You, you see even as you hear, and in your hearing and seeing, your heart opens and you see God. Seeing is of tremendous importance physically. It's a thousand times more than just being able to read the words on on the page. It would be true to say that my, my physical vision, seeing, is part of how we were created to stand. If your vision's off, if you notice, you begin to waver. Um, you're off center. And, and, and so to be stable 
It's connected in many cases with vision, with seeing. And have you noticed that where you look, that is where you move toward? You, you move forward as you look forward. We, we move in accord with what we're looking at, whether that be a physical looking, which it is many cases, or an inner seeing. So that as I came here to the studio today, I, I didn't think about it, but if you want to analyze it, as I walked out of my door, I had that uh, flash of a picture that, that I'm going to drive down this road and park here and go in there. And, and, and so I followed the inner vision, and the inner vision caused my eyes to be on the road that led to where my goal was. Eyes, 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 inside, outside eyes. Look, it's a fact that what we look at, we are drawn to it. Very much so. You look at something and you feel almost a physical draw toward it, and it also appears to draw us to it. It's what you have inner seeing, continual inner seeing is where you're drawn to it. It's a physical fact. And and if you look at something, you, you tend... Have you been driving down the road and you saw something over there and you looked and you looked and you looked and you found your car was just about off the road? You, you follow your eyes. Have you noticed... Well, not all of you. I know some of you don't have this problem, but it's pretty general. Um, you know, when you're... Climbing a mountain, ever climbed a cliff, climbed a mountain? What is the absolute rule? Don't look down. Um, because as you look down, you, you find yourself almost going down and you feel a draw down. Your eyes, uh, if you're going to climb a mountain, keep looking up, keep going according to your eyes. Oh, I mean, something as simple as you, have you ever sat in the nosebleed seats in the arena? And it was so easy going up there. And then when you got up there and you looked down and it seemed to be an abyss, how on earth are you going to go down? Because if you look down, you find yourself almost being falling down. I remember when I was in Mexico, I went to Chinchinia, uh, you know, the pyramid there. And... Um, Oh, it was great. I climbed to the top, and then I looked down. I, I, did I really climb up here? Uh, and, and I had to go down on my seat. I had to sit my way down. <laughs> you follow your eyes. Don't look down. Ever gone across that rope bridge? They have them in Pennsylvania, and, and <laughs> if you go across that bridge, you don't look down. Don't look down, or you'll find yourself paralyzed. Not everybody, I'll agree, but a lot of you can relate to what I'm saying. There's a paralysis, and it occurs because of my eyes are looking down, or, or they're looking here and there when I should be looking straight ahead. Um, where, if, if you spin around and your eyes catch many, many things as they go around, the time you stop spinning, you're falling on the ground. You're off balance completely. Um, paralyzed, off balance. 
It's, it's where, where you're focused. And so if you're going to walk a tightrope, don't look down, but you find a point of focus. And just, that's it. That's where you're going. Don't, don't try and see how your partner's doing over there. You, you keep focus or you're going to go down. And the reason those dancers and ice skaters can, can spin around and not fall down is because they've focused on one point and, and everything else fades at just that one point that they catch every time they go around. Oh, you see, it, it's amazing how the eyes fit into this. Okay, that means then mankind was created for eyes on God. Eyes on God, nothing added. Eyes on God, for he is your life. And his life that he participates with you is his love. And he desires your friendship. He desires your fellowship. It is the the very movement of the heart of God to embrace you and draw you into the experience and the partaking of his love. What, what, What came in? What other thing came in? What was added to that purity that destroyed it, that that produced something that was actually poison, like a river that is now full of death? Or read, read, in the light of what I've just said, read Genesis 3 and verse 4 through 6. Okay, let me read it quickly. The serpent... That's the Satan. And incidentally, I think we'd do a lot better to drop the words Satan and devil because they're not names. They are words of other languages. And if we just simply translate them, we'd get a better idea. Satan, you see, means the accuser, um, the slanderer. Or to put it this way, every time you gossip about someone, you're Satanizing. That, that's Satan accuses. That, that's his big thing, the accuser. So he's called the Satan, the accuser. And devil, which of course describes the same quasi-person, devil means divider and separator. I, I think we would have a lot more clarity if when talking of Satan or the devil, we use the words accuser, divider, separator, confuser, um, because every time we say Satan and devil, we've got all those medieval pictures of an idiot in a tight suit with horns and the rest of it. Uh, Just flush that all down the toilet and realize it's describing this hideous character creature um, that is the accuser and the divider, divider, remember that. The serpent, this Satan, said to the woman, Eve, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened. So the original temptation to the human race was about what they saw. Have you you ever realized that before? God knows in the day you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then he goes on and says, okay, so she's listened, right? She's listened to what 
the great accuser. He, Satan, <clears throat> yeah, that, that's the, see, now let's say the accuser. What was he accusing? He was accusing God of being a liar. He says, you shall not surely die. God said you would, but God lies. God has kept this magnificent thing from you in the day you eat it. He knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Okay, so she listened to that. She listened. Then it says, when the woman saw So what she listened to now already affects her seeing. She saw that the tree, the tree that had been told them plainly by God, it's a doorway into death. In the day you eat thereof, you shall die in your dying. But now in the light of what she'd heard, it's affecting her inner vision, and she sees that the tree was good for food. Well, I don't know how she could see that, but it's amazing after you've listened to the accuser what you can see. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It you really mean this beautiful tree is the doorway to death? No, I think this this accuser is right. I, I think indeed God lied to us. You see how it's going. But then it says, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. I shall be wiser than God. I shall have wisdom to live, you see. Her eyes, said Satan, would be opened. Well, they weren't opened, actually. It's in the process of being closed. But that's not what it felt like. It never does. When I listen to the accuser, who is the divider and separator, he never sounds like the accuser. He always sounds like your great dear uncle that has just come with great news and a great gift for you. And and it all seems so right. It was a delight to the eyes. It was good to eat. It looks that. Ah, but then she sees. But already her eyes are closed to God Something has been added to her so that she now sees what is not there. It would make her wise. No, Eve, it's going to make you the dumbest idiot. It's going to introduce every horror and nightmare that you could not even imagine. Huh. So they accuser, the separator. He just, he didn't put in a lot of industrial waste. It was just a little lie. There it is. You shall be as gods. You shall be like God. That, that's it. That's it. That's it. If you declare your independence, then you shall be like God, and you will have the wisdom to really find what life is all about. And that was added to the river of human life, human existence. 
And it was enough to kill all the beauty. It was enough to destroy all the joy. It contaminated every expression of human living. The lie. You should be as God. That means your life is in your hands. To be and do just what you please. You, of course, are now in charge of your own protection. You're in charge of your own provision. You've got to find out all the eating. You're in charge. Does he feel good, you see? You're, you're in charge now. And you're so wise, you'll know how to protect and how to provide. You'll know it. You, you'll know how to map your way through life. You're the wise one, you see. And Eve listened, and as she listened, she saw. As she listened, she saw. And she saw this anti-truth that contradicted everything the beautiful creator and lover had said. So as we just read it, didn't we? She listened, and then she looked, and she saw only what she saw now was she's already got distorted vision. She sees that that tree will do things that it can't do. It will do the very reverse. New eyes opened in her flesh, her mortality, so that now she understands truth to be the lie. That lie of Satan and all that it now was, was uh, telling her and all that she saw, that to her was truth. But really, it's the lie. She saw everything through the lie. They took this foreign poison into the river of their life and the horror descended. They're alone. I... I can you imagine? Put it this way. They were born again backwards. They, they had romped in the garden with God. And now they have no sense of God because that's what devil means, the separator, the divider. And he has put up this lie and they live in the lie, so they can't see God, and they've lost their awareness of the love of God. They're alone. Of course, they're not really, for God can't be put off by a stupid devil. But as far as they are concerned, they are in an inky darkness. They are in a terrible prison of aloneness. And fear sets in and that is going to be the breath they breathe until they face the greatest fear of death and they succumb to death in fear fear is going to be the mark of human the word anxiety means uh, to be torn apart pulled apart and I think everybody, I don't need to, you know what anxiety is. And, and I think actually the, the translator I just gave, the torn apartness, is, is a good way. You're, you're, you're torn. Um, anxiety, they, because now they see every circumstance they're in a threat. It's a threat to 
my provision? Will I, will I be able to buy enough food? Will there be enough food if we don't have rain, if we have too much sun, if we don't have sun, if we have too much rain? Will there be any food to eat? And every situation for my protection. And, and humankind became those who lived with this aura of fear and seeing threats in every place, threat to their very selves. Their aloneness spread to their relationships because if I think I'm God and you think you're God, how on earth can we come together? Um, there, there were masks and walls and, and pretenses. But then again, of course, without my creator being my teacher as to who I am, I don't know who I am. So how could I have a relationship anyway? And so now I, I'll do anything to make you like me because I feel so alone. I'll do anything for you to smile at me. I, I'll do anything to avoid your frown. Anything to be accepted. Anything to be friended. And, and, and if you tell bad things about me on Facebook, I, I don't know what to do with that because I'm, I'm so alone and I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. I, I need you to tell me, please write on my forehead who I am, what I'm supposed to be. I could keep going, you know. Got to cut off all those I think will destroy me or hurt me. And, of course, we do that mostly with words. Um, we've got plenty of persons who do it physically, but, but mostly it's with words. Go into the um, lunchroom, stand by the water place, uh, and everything you hear is cutting people down, destroying people, finding something wrong with them and exaggerating it. Keep everybody down so that I'll retain my place. They didn't know where they were. They were, were made to be rooted in God, but they didn't know who God was because Satan, the accuser, has accused God of being a liar, and they believed him. And now they're supposed to be like God. And now the God they're terrified of is obviously going to judge our performance. And so now they cower before this twisted, distorted image of God that they came up with in their imagination. They created a God that was but a projection of their own twisted selves. God the punisher. God the accuser. Guilt, guilt, guilt. God, the one who's going to get you because you're not living up to being God as you should. Just a minute. What they think is God is really the accuser and the separator pretending to be God. He's No wonder he's called the God of this world. And so the God that they, they are tormented in their minds by is a God who doesn't like them, a God who's mad at them, a God who's separated himself from them, a God who's going to punish them when he gets his hands on them. And so they write the rules, of course, they're God. They write the rules of how God should accept them. And they say, look, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, therefore you should accept me. It seemed right unto man. Oh, they, they had memories, sort of, rumors, if you like, that God is love. But that must be another God behind the real God. It's amazing how many 
people I speak to today that almost believe that, that that God the Father is the punisher. God the Father is the angry one. But then there's this other God called Jesus, and he, he, he... He's always working to change the Father's mind about you. See, that, that, that came straight out of the accuser's mouth in the Garden of Eden. Truth. Was, was, it's a movable thing now. Truth is, is, is it's defined by my feelings. If I feel good, this must be God's in a good mood. If I feel bad, it must be the devil. I don't know where I stand because everything relates to how I feel about it. Today, of course, we've taken it to the extreme and you hear it on radio and TV. Your truth and my truth, meaning there is no truth. It's what I feel is what you feel. A circumstance, it must be the devil. No, it may be it's God. It's the devil, see Okay, they're impure. Do you get it now? They're defiled. They're contaminated. They're poisoned by the lie. They listen to the lie. And then when they looked at life, that's all they saw. A world in which they are alone and therefore full of fear. They're afraid of God as they understand him. They're afraid of life. They're afraid of not being provided enough, not being protected enough. And they become jealous and envious which spring from fear, you see. And, and, and they're, they're ready to remove people from their life because they're afraid, afraid, afraid. I look at this this pathetic human race now that's like that river stinking with the lie. And wherever it's gone, all the beauty that we were created to express is gone. It's dead. Never sure. Tormented by looking at self to handle life. Self to be right with God, such as they knew him. And any ideas they had about a a nice God, you could never be sure. It's okay to trust him when things are good, but when things are bad, who knows what he'll do. Mankind was ruled by the lie. But God wouldn't stop loving them, and so he began by telling them he's a God of covenant. He's a God who keeps his word. He's a God of love. He's their friend to bless them and keep them. And so, those who had faith in that covenant God are continually (coughs) facing another possibility. God is God is God. They have come to know him. But here comes the lie. They're surrounded by the lie. That's all their peers talk about. That's what their ancestor gave them. And so the great temptation was to double-mindedness, double-minded outlook. They, They saw God but not the real one, not that other God that they'd made up, but didn't know they'd made up. They thought he was real. And they look at their circumstances and they look at themselves all in accord with the great lie. So 
they see the God of covenant, but they see something else too. And and they're caught in between two contradictory opinions. And those, the two can't exist together because two means it's contaminated. Jesus actually spoke further to this just a few verses from where we are right now in Matthew's gospel in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Read, read it, Matthew chapter 6, 22. In our version, it says the lamp of the body or the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, I'll come back to that word in a minute, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, I'll come back to that, your whole body will be full of darkness. Well, what's, it's that your eye is clear. The translators have forever wondered what this word means. I think it just means what it originally said, especially in the light of what we're talking about. The word clear there in the original language means um, unfolded. That That is, here, here's a piece of paper, you see. That, that piece of paper is not folded. That's what that word clear means, unfolded. But then it says, if your eye is bad... That word in the original language means folded. What do you get when it's folded? You get two. What he's saying there is, if your eye is single, and actually I think one of the more ancient translations says that, if your eye is single, that's a perfect translation. It's single. That is, you see one thing. It's not contaminated with something else. If your eye is single, if it's unfolded, then it says your whole body, your whole human existence will be filled with light. But if your eye is folded, that is if you're seeing double, your whole body will be full of darkness. It will affect everything you do. And so it's double vision. That is, what do you see? I sit down with people and I hear this all the time. They believe, they believe, they believe in, in, in God of love, in Jesus, and they believe it. But then when circumstances come that, that are enormous, that look like giants, they fall apart. And I say, well, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And they say, well, I, I'm not sure. You say, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. And so they look at the circumstance and they look at God and they say, just a minute, is this God? Is this the devil? Can God be trusted? And and they're looking at it in confusion because it's not pure vision of God. They see God, but they see mixed into that the lie. Or they're trying to climb up in life, but they keep looking down and they're drawn down into the abyss and the darkness and the terrors and the pulled apart with anxiety. If you think I'm making this up, try James 4, 8, where he gives us a definition of impurity by double vision. Look, James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Then he speaks to the people that he was writing to, which is not our concern right now, but cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts. 
you double-minded. So you see, he says, your heart that is seeing double, double-minded, is it God? Is it the devil? Is it God? Can I trust God? I'm not sure if I can. So he says, you, you have no purity of heart. And, and, and so purify your heart. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Double-mindedness is what makes the heart impure. And impurity, what does it look like? What well, James again, he goes into this, James 1 verse 6. He says, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, what, what is doubt? Doubt is trying to believe two things at once. Only the two things contradict each other. And you live making a judgment between the two. Jesus is the Son of God. I think so. I think so. I thought so last week when I put up my hand in the meetings. I really thought so. But now, if this is happening to me, I don't know. I don't know. I think so. And circumstances change. And you say, yes, I do believe that. Well, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. See, Doubt. Have you ever wondered at the spelling of doubt? D-O-U-B-T. I know English is crazy, but um, how on earth did did the B get in there? D-O-U-B-T. Doubt. Because doubt is just another form of the word double. D-O-U-B-L-E. Oh, yes. Two contradictory opinions. Judging between the two. Is it the lie or is it the original? It's a mixture, and the mixture is contamination, and that contamination brings nothing but death. Seeing double is the essence of doubt. And he says a double-minded man is unstable. Unstable, it means unsteady. Yeah, it's when you look down or when you're you're paralyzed and you can't move because your eyes are looking in the wrong direction. It means, the word unstable means restless. It means producing disorder. As you spin and see so many images all at once and there's disorder, you can't stand straight. Do you, do you remember, it's worth taking time for this, in Matthew fourteen twenty eight, um, and Jesus walking on the water. Again, I won't go into the whole thing, just this. Uh, and, and Peter, he, he says, it's, it's, you know, they were all scared. And the Lord says, be of good courage, it's me. And, and Peter said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So you see, Peter heard something and he, he listened. And in listening, he had that seeing inside that 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 person, Jesus, actually was now giving him authority, permission to walk on the water. So here I come. And, and and Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. And he came toward Jesus because he, he's walking. He's walking on the water and he's looking at Jesus who had told him to come. But then, oh, that the exactness of Scripture. Listen to this. and It says, but seeing the wind. Oi. Huh. 
I, I think the wind had been there right from the beginning. And seeing the wind, he saw the effects of the wind in, in the raging surf and everything else that the wind causes in the middle of the lake. But he hadn't seen it. He had not seen. He had seen Jesus, who was the very source of this incredible ability, and had shared it with Peter. And Peter just listens and goes and listens and goes, and he's going to Jesus. But then he takes a look around, and he sees the wind. So suddenly he's seeing Jesus who has just given him the craziest invitation that anybody's ever had. But at the same time, he sees the wind and seeing those waves, and he remembers that he's a human being, and every time he'd ever gotten on top of water, he'd gone straight through it. And so he became afraid. Do do you get this? He saw Jesus, but now he turns and he sees the waves and the wind. He becomes afraid and beginning to sink. Okay, Jesus stretches out his head, took hold of him. And Jesus said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus used that word over against the experience of Peter who is trying to see Jesus as the author and permitter and the giver of the ability to do this, though it contradicts everything he'd ever done in his life, but it's working. He does. But then he took another look in the other direction and looked at, and the result was fear, of course, fear. Doubt always brings fear because you don't know which way is up. Ah, well, the fact is, Jesus' death on the cross exposed the lie. That is, the scripture, all New Testament says that God became flesh in Jesus. God took to himself our humanity. He faced the liar as one of us. And his death on the cross was actually to destroy the works of the devil or the divider. That is, the death of Jesus on the cross was his entering into our situation. He got into the foul river of humanity. And he embraced it, and he took to himself the impurity and overcame it and finished it. And he cried out, it is finished. And he declared release to every human from all the actions and thoughts that arose from the foul lie. And he rose out of death, bringing us with him, the rebirth of the human race to purity. He is the pure, and we now included into him participate in his pure. But it's not just an idea, for he, Jesus, is also the one who gives to us the Holy Spirit, his own spirit, 
the Spirit who is the very mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit orders our seeing and brings us to see the true God, the true God of love, and there's no God standing behind him. The true God who is unbeginningly in totality committed to us, to bring us into union with himself, to see myself as forgiven and cleansed, yes, but more than that, the one who was created for God to dwell within me, and he's achieved his end and has given to me eternal life, and that eternal life is fellowship with the Father. And that's who, this is true wisdom. And the lie wisdom has been exposed for what it is. And so you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Huh. Oh, yeah, but the temptation is there, you see. You are the new creation. That's who you are. But here it comes. It's the hath God said. It is dangling out there. Any temptation you've ever had is not about just doing something wrong. It is the presentation to you of the lie in some form. To, uh, and the call is that you act in accord with that. It's the suggestion, hath God said, which quickly moves to he didn't. It's saying that God is the liar. And and then we find ourselves in strange confusion. What's happened? Because now we're saying, does he care? Does he love? Has he forgiven? Am I accepted? And, And you're spiraling down. Don't look down, you see. But we... Let let me quickly say this. I've got only seconds left here, but the first look at a situation is with my natural physical eyes, with all the natural stuff of my mortality. And so always the first thing you see as you look at anything or any relationship or any circumstance It just, I see them as they appear. And it would be, how can I put it? It's true what you see. It is true what you see. But then faith moves to what one might call a second look. But for the believer, it's really the way the first look works. Because in the second look, I see through the situation. And I, I, I see God is here. Right in the middle of this situation. Things are not what they seem to be. The God who is all love and the God who is all wise. And he who has said, he never leave me nor forsake me, is here, is now. And he dwells in me and he dwells in this situation because this situation is part of me right now. And therefore, where do we go from here? Only now it's not the cry of anxiety in a victim. It is the triumphant thought that God in me and me in him, the Spirit of God inside of me, and that is not something that is merely true. 
That is truth. Truth, you see, is a capital T. Truth is always truth. Truth never changes. What is true can be true this hour. It won't be the same truth in the next hour, for everything is changing. But truth is truth is truth is truth. And our physical eyes and our five senses can only report on things that are true right now. But Jesus Christ has revealed the truth. And the truth never changes. And therefore, I face this situation with pure sight. Not mixed with, well, if this and if that and... Is God with me? Maybe this is all the devil. This is a great attack, so I'm going to cry to God and hope he hears my SOS. No. No, 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 no. He is here. He is in you. And and your feelings have got to bow to that. And all your memories and things passed on from ancestors and parents, they've all got to bow to this. I've come to the truth. And the truth is that I am in him and he is in me, and that's the way it is. Well, my time is gone, and I've, I think I've said enough to wrap it up for tonight, but I've got a lot more to say. This, this is a lot deeper than this. And so join us next week, and we shall continue to see the dynamic life that arises out of... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they too see God. But until then, I trust we've said enough that you can begin to realize the lies of Satan, the call from over here, and, and begin to seek, at least, to contaminate the river of your life. The blessing of the Lord be with you. We'll be back next week.